You're listening to the Financial Literacy Podcast, brought to you by MD Financial Management, Canada's only national financial services firm dedicated to helping physicians and their families with their unique financial needs. Hi, everyone. I'm Chris Warner. I'm an insurance consultant with MD Financial in British Columbia, and I am so excited to be hosting today's episode of the Financial Literacy Podcast. Today, we'll be focusing on everything you need to know about funding your education in medicine. I'm joined by a very special guest, Amy King, and she's our early career education specialist. Amy, long time no see. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. It's so great to be here. Awesome. Today, we're going to dive into ways that students who have decided to pursue a career in medicine can best prepare themselves financially, not just for their time in medical school, but through their residency, possibly fellowship, and through all those little transitions. This really hits home for me as my wife recently finished medical school and is in her first year of residency. And medical school itself was already an adventure, but then you add the burden of hundreds of thousands of dollars in costs as you get through it. Uh, So this is a big topic to unpack. It sure is. And this conversation is really important because the cost of an education in medicine is not only much higher than most other fields, but it also follows you much further into your career once you've even completed your training. So getting a head start on your finances now will help you start off on the right foot and help save you some added stress later on. Right. So Amy, how soon should medical students start preparing? At birth? I mean, I'm kidding, but I'm also kind of not. If you're lucky, your parents will have started saving some money for your education when you were young. Um, But even at that, not every parent can be expected to save enough to cover the cost of medical school. So for kids who've always dreamed of being a doctor, they should be working towards building their own savings from part-time jobs, gifts, and other money sources. The earlier you can start saving, really, it's the better. Right, right. And it occurs to me that this advice could apply to pretty much all post-secondary education. We know in Canada, tuition costs continue to outpace inflation by probably nearly double. And of course, the cost of medical school is especially high. So Amy, I guess the question would be how much greater of a cost should students and families be expecting? Well, in Canada, the average undergrad student leaves school with about $30,000 worth of debt. Medical students should expect to add at least another 100000 on top of that. So in a recent study, I believe it was about 16% of medical school grads owed over $200,000 by the end. Then you factor in residency where even if they're earning a salary, they're still accumulating debt from their line of credits and other sources. Um, So by the time you actually begin to practice and then add practice setup costs, everything else, you could be looking at close to $300,000 worth of debt. Ouch. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, So do we think it's even possible to save that much by the time you start school? Probably not. um, But I don't want to discourage people. So will it be tough? Yes, but there are lots of options to help lighten the load. And if you're passionate about this field and you're able to work hard and stay focused on your goals, the rewards will pay off. And I mean that quite literally. Right, agreed. I I know firsthand that it is a long haul, but it does start to balance out later. So planning early is definitely a good start, but what should that plan look like? Because like you said, it's not enough to just start putting money away as soon as possible. What else should students and families probably be doing? Well, unfortunately, there's no one-size-fits-all plan, just like everything else in life. Um, But knowing the different resources that are available will definitely help you start to see which ones might work best for you and your situation. 
Right. And if you're not sure what options might work best, I mean, speaking to a financial advisor is always a good idea. Uh, MD advisors specialize in finances for physicians and they can help both students and their parents. Absolutely. Um, Even if you think you're financially savvy, physicians are financial outliers and there are so many tools available to them to help them be set up for success. Okay, so let's get into some detail about the different options that are available when you start to put together your financial plan for med school. What would you say is the first step? An RESP. It can be tough to save your child's education on top of other financial obligations, but the value of time will help those savings immensely. Step one for the prospective medical student would be to open a TFSA when they turn 18 and then start saving any money towards their own education. The benefits of both of these accounts are that the investments grow tax-free. That means you can make smaller contributions over a longer period of time and still end up with substantial savings. Right. So those are fairly easy steps. And are there differences between the two accounts? Yes, uh, they are very different. So an RESP, which is a registered education savings plan, gets opened by a parent on behalf of a child, or you can also do it on a family account if there's multiple children, Um, but it's specifically for education. So the two big benefits of the RESP is it's a tax-sheltered account that parents, grandparents, family, friends, et cetera, can use to save up to $50,000 for a child's post-secondary education. So the funds then grow tax-free, and then they're taxed as income to the child when they're withdrawn. Therefore, it's at a much lower tax rate than what the parents would be taxed at. The other benefit of it is that the earlier you start saving, the better. Because the government will actually match 20% of your contributions on the first $2,500 each year. So that's with the Canada Education Savings Grant. And that goes all the way to when they turn 18. The family account gives the flexibility to have multiple sibling beneficiaries. Just in case one child doesn't want to pursue a post-secondary education. The funds aren't lost and then can be allocated to another child. In the rare event that none of your children want to pursue post-secondary, you can actually withdraw the funds. There are going to be some taxes and penalties you'd have to pay. Um, And that's why I'd recommend instead you transfer the funds to your own RRSP if you have the contribution space. Unfortunately, though, the government matching grants would then have to be returned. A TFSA, on the other hand, is a tax-free savings account um, that can be opened by anyone 18 and older. The current yearly contribution limit is $6,000, and that gets set by the government each year. Um, There are penalties if you go over your contribution limits, so making sure you stay within that is important. But the TFSA is a fantastic tool for your own education savings because the money can be used for whatever you want and it grows in that account tax-free and your withdrawals aren't taxed as well. Mm, That's really great info, Amy. There's a lot of differences between the two that are apparent. So outside of investment accounts, I know there are all sorts of other grants that students can apply for on their own, right? Absolutely. Uh, Grants, scholarships, and bursaries are all essential in financial prep for students. And these are great because they don't have to be repaid. Mm, And what does the process look like usually for med students? Uh, Before we get into the process, I think it's important to note the differences between these options. So government grants can be issued by either the provincial or federal government, usually in addition to the loan program, which we'll circle back to. Um, When you apply for your loan, the government also assesses your household income and other things that could impact your finances like dependents. And then if you are eligible, you could receive additional funds. Eligibility requirements vary by province as well as your program of study, but most of them are available for you to check out online. Um, A scholarship or bursary are more often given out through a corporation or university. They are most often awarded based on merit in addition to your financial need. However, there are usually some smaller scholarships that are open for specific groups, such as 
Black, Indigenous, or people of color, or the LGBTQ community, or other socioeconomic demographics. These scholarships are usually from a legacy trust, um, so make sure you look through all the scholarships available and apply for any that you are eligible for. This can take a lot of time and a lot of work, so beyond filling out your application with all your financial and household information, you also have to prove your academic excellence and why that scholarship is right for you. So if you're studying in Canada and applying to multiple schools, there are 17 medical schools, so the competition is tough, but it will be extremely beneficial to your financial planning. Plus, it looks great on a resume. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, the more money you receive through scholarships and or grants, that that doesn't usually have to be repaid and there's usually little to no tax, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's a small portion of your expenses covered, and that will lighten some of the load from the debt that will stick with you into and after your studies. Ah, uh, yes, debt. Because even with scholarships and grants and whatever you're able to save, I mean, the reality is you're still going to need to borrow most of your funds from somewhere. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, there's only a very small percentage of medical students lucky enough to graduate with little to no debt from medical school. So yes, be prepared. Start researching your financial institutions, their loan and line of credit options, and everything that's available to you early. Right. Okay. So it's probably fair to say that that's where the bulk of our financial plan will be focused on then, right? A student's loan or line of credit, that's going to be covering most of the expenses incurred. And once in practice, it's going to need to be paid off. That's correct. And that's also why it's important to know what the differences are between a loan and a line of credit. There are advantages to both, but typically the way the interest is charged will determine what order that the med students should actually use their different debt products. The repayment terms of each will come into effect later on, and then they can weigh the options available to them, including whether they have loan relief programs or even debt consolidation. Um, however, most medical students will need a combination of both to fully fund education. So you have to consider how you want to approach paying off debt before you've actually even incurred it. Mm, are there some distinct differences between the two? When you apply for government student loans, um, you'll get two portions, a federal and a provincial portion. This won't make much of a difference until time comes for you to actually repay it. But with a loan, the total amount that you receive is given to you up front, regardless of whether you need it all right away or not. And you will be expected to repay that full amount at the end. When it comes to applying for a line of credit, here's where being a physician makes you that financial outlier. You have access to promotional offers from the banks for your line of credit. Once you receive your acceptance letter to medical school, you can research which banks have the best offers for medical students. Typically, the approved amounts range anywhere from two hundred dollars to $350,000, and that sits available to you on a line of credit. So you don't need to use it all, and in fact, we highly recommend you don't use all of your line of credit to pay for your tuition and living expenses, as you will likely need access to your line of credit for more expenses as you near your transition into practice and even throughout residency. You can borrow as you need, and then if you find yourself with some extra cash from a summer job or stuff like that, you could pay a little bit of it down to save that interest, and then you have that room again to borrow it. So think of it kind of like a credit card. It's revolving, and that every dollar of your principal that you repay also becomes available to you again to reborrow. Right. That makes sense. But I hope that in terms of interest and how that's calculated, it's not as bad as a credit card. <laughs> no. Uh, this is the beneficial part to it. So in terms of interest, for both student loans and lines of credits, the rate is usually tied to prime, which is a variable rate that's determined by the Bank of Canada. So loans are generally prime or prime plus 
while the line of credit typically, the going offers are typically around uh, prime, and even right now it's prime minus a quarter, that discount might not seem like much, but every little bit of that helps along the way. The bigger differences lie in how the interest is calculated for each. So for your student loans, they don't actually accrue any interest while you are in medical school. Typically, though, student loans would go into repayment and start to accrue interest six months after you graduate your full-time studies. However, since COVID hit, the Canadian government has actually extended that grace period until March 2023 for all student loans. So depending on what province you're in, there are some other ways where you may be eligible to delay your interest from accruing throughout your residency as well. And you can even claim up to 15% tax credit on the interest of your federal portion of your student loans. The interest on your line of credit kicks in the moment you withdraw funds. So you get charged a monthly interest payment on the amount that you've borrowed. So most borrowing institutions will actually capitalize these payments while you're in medical school, which means it's borrowing from your line of credit to pay the interest. So you don't actually even see it, but it is what is causing your debt to grow quicker on your line of credit. However, the grace period for your line of credit could be anywhere from six months up to two years, depending on your bank, before you need to start paying down that balance. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I guess too, then once you start thinking about borrowing and accruing interest, you also want to start thinking about what the repayment process for managing that debt and paying off those loans is going to look like. Is that also different depending on whether you go with a loan or a line of credit? Yeah. uh, Generally speaking, when paying for your medical school, you want to use your borrowing sources in the order that will accrue you the least amount of interest. Once you've used all of your savings and then any free money, so those grants and bursaries and scholarships, then you would use your student loans because you're not going to accrue any interest on them throughout your medical school. Once you've tapped that, then you would look into your line of credit because the interest on that starts accruing right away. The advantage for medical students is that there's also options to help you pay down your debts. So it's great to meet with an MD advisor to make sure that you're aware of all the debt relief or loan forgiveness programs that are available to you. Your advisor can also help crunch the numbers to see if consolidating your debts makes sense as well. And by consolidating your debt onto your line of credit, this can free up some cash in your monthly budget um, and give you, you know, only one monthly minimum debt payment, which then gives you the flexibility to either pay down more in your debt or potentially look to start investing with some of that extra cash. Even though you'll be making a salary during your residency years, it's possible that you still need access to your line of credit. So it's important to leave room on there. And with a line of credit, you still have access to those funds as long as the account is open. So you can use that for your residency expenses and potentially make payments using some of your residency salary. So Amy, I hear a lot of debt talk and a lot about growing debt. I mean, is there anything in your opinion that can really make a difference uh, long term or are students sort of stuck in a rut until they start their actual practice? Well, this is where the budgeting and establishing good financial habits is really going to make the most difference. There are a few decisions you can make early on that will help you cut down some of your expenses. So for example, where you decide to do your studies can be a big indication of what your finances will look like. Your tuition will be different uh, depending on the school and the province you're in. And of course, but some cities are also more expensive, you know, to live in than others. If you live in Toronto versus Saskatoon or even Vancouver. So if and where you end up relocating will have a huge impact on your living expenses. We do have a really cool medical school cost calculator on md.ca that can help you figure out roughly how much your medical education might cost you. So we've actually pre-populated it with the tuition and estimated living expenses for each school, but you can go in and then adjust with your actual living expenses to give you a better idea of what your projected debt levels might be, which also leads to the importance of tracking your living expenses. 
So unless you're going to be living at home with your parents while studying, your finances are going to be split pretty evenly between your education needs and your personal needs. So knowing exactly where your money is going is the best way to see where you can cut back on your spending and also what needs to be prioritized. So med school can be stressful enough and we can't expect you to track every single expense in an Excel spreadsheet or stick to a super strict budget, but you can use free budgeting apps like Mint to help keep yourself on track at a quick glance. Right. Good advice. And if you manage money well, when you don't really have any, then you should be better prepared for when you do have some. Uh, To that point, obviously, your budget will evolve continuously throughout school and beyond then. Oh, absolutely. Um, Medical students need to keep in mind that each year is going to be different in terms of expenses, including residency. This means you have to manage your finances accordingly. If you have extra funds at the end of the year, as much as you might want to treat yourself, I recommend putting as much as you can aside. Even if you think you'll be covered for the next year, you may run into some unexpected expenses or, I don't know, break some of your equipment and need to replace it last minute. It's always a good idea to have a little bit set aside for emergencies. Yeah, I agree. Better safe than sorry, as anyone working in healthcare will tell you. Uh, You know, you mentioned a few times already your your residency will uniquely impact your finances, because I guess on one hand, you're making money now, but then there's also going to be ongoing expenses to be considered. Like, Generally speaking, do you think residency is the time to start tackling some debt? So even though you're earning a salary in your residency, it's certainly an enormous improvement from anything you would have been making in your part-time job, if you even had one while attending med school. But as we mentioned, there are also many other expenses on top of your living expenses during your residency too. So there are courses, exams, and trainings that you're going to have to pay for. You'll also have expenses related to licensing and insurance, not to mention exam prep and even parking at the hospital. But it's definitely a good start. You're also going to be paid some stipends for being on call, which is exhausting, but will add to your income during residency. And every year, your pay does increment up just a little bit. Um, In rare cases, there's also a thing called moonlighting that you can do where you can earn extra money by providing clinical services in addition to your residency work, again, if you have time. You... I have to do research on this, though, because eligibility and registration is different in each province. Some programs won't even allow their residents to moonlight if the existing workload is just too heavy. And I do know a few residents, and none of them have time to moonlight at all. So I I think it is true that it's definitely a big transition from med school into residency. Uh, In my experience, some students might think the toughest part is actually behind you by that point, but residency is challenging in different ways. Like your peers may get placed around the country, and you may find yourself moving too, which could be isolating. And depending on your specialty, your workload will very likely be even more intense than courtship was in third year. Uh, you'll also be getting a lot more hands-on experience, but that also comes with higher expectations and higher responsibility. And that's a lot on its own without even taking into account family or other duties outside of your residency. Amy, Are there options for those who might not be able to take on extra work or even just for those struggling to pay back their loans in general? Yeah, um, and that comes down to depending on your province or even your specialty, there are various loan relief programs out there to help ease the burden of your medical school debt. So nationally for family physicians, physicians, there's a loan relief program that can have up to $40,000 of your federal student loans forgiven if you do your residency or you practice in remote or underserved communities. There's also the option of debt consolidation, which I mentioned earlier, to help kind of ease that monthly cash flow. 
Oh, excellent. Okay, so there's some options for sure. Uh, Amy, I'm, I'm now conscious of your time, and I'm sure we could probably go on for days about all the different aspects and avenues for financing medical education. I think this has already given us great insight on what to expect and how to get prepared. Perhaps before we close, though, do you have any final advice for our listeners? Yes. The best advice I can give is don't get too overwhelmed. Like I said at the beginning of the conversation, it's going to be tough, but it's also going to be so rewarding. Keep in mind, you're going to be surrounded by people who are pretty much in the same boat as you, and you are going to work with professionals who are also once in your shoes. So reach out to people, ask for support, and when in doubt, talk to an advisor. But most importantly, just stay focused on your goals. If you remember why you were doing this and you stick to your plan, you will be fine. Absolutely. I could not agree more. 86,000-ish physicians currently in practice today have already done it, so it's clearly possible. Uh, Amy King, thank you so much for joining us here today. It has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. This was great, and best of luck to all of you future physicians out there. And thank you again, uh, listeners, for tuning in. For those who are deliberating a career in medicine or already on that path, today's episode should provide you with insight as to how best to manage your own finances along the way. Remember, MD Financial has advisors that specialize in financial guidance for physicians, so you know that you're getting the best specialized advice for your specific needs. Once again, I'm Chris Warner. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you again on the next Financial Literacy Podcast. This has been the Financial Literacy Podcast, brought to you by MD Financial Management. For more information or to speak to an advisor today, visit our website at md.ca.